Just want to say one more time before David comes and brings the last lesson to us that we appreciate everybody that stayed and that's here this afternoon and who's been here throughout this weekend. Appreciate David and the lessons he's given to us on engaging everyone for eternity, which is our congregational theme this year. And this last lesson that he's going to present is on the family. And if we're going to be engaged as individuals, it also involves our families doing that. And we're looking forward to this lesson from David. And thank you again for being here. David, come and preach to us. There have been a variety of studies that have been done over the last couple decades regarding the what's called the apostasy rate of young people away from the church. What that means is that there have been a variety of researches that research studies that have been done looking at our young people who have fallen away, looking at how many of them have fallen away and trying to determine various factors that have led to that. Some of those studies over the last few decades have shown that the Lord's Church has lost maybe 50% of its young people. In more recent years, those numbers have grown more to say that the Lord's Church has lost maybe somewhere around 80% of its young people or more. Obviously, there's a lot of different things involved in these studies, and so coming down to an exact number uh, across the, the Lord's Church is difficult to do. But no doubt it is on the higher side of the 50% than it is below 50%. A few years ago, we did a study down at Palm Beach Lakes, just looked at our young people. Looked at our young people going back into the 60s, uh, up until present day, and uh, we found that we had lost 59% of our young people. And you hear numbers like that, and you know, they're just, they're numbers, they're statistics. You know, you, you hear percentages and okay, that they're, they're just statistics. But when you start looking and realizing that those numbers represent souls, those numbers represent individuals that many have known and loved and cared about and taught in Bible class and saw sitting in pews just like these and then to see after years go by that they're no longer in pews like these breaks our hearts. And so sometimes the question is asked, what happened? Sometimes the question is asked, what did the church do to lose its young people? And a lot of times the, the blame is laid at the feet of the church, and I'm not here to lay the blame at anybody's feet today. That's not the design of this study, the design of our study time together. But I think we need to take a step backwards and realize that Children were never given primarily to the church. Children have been given by God, Psalm 127, into the care of their parents. And it weighs heavily on every parent's heart, from the very youngest child to adult children. There's nothing that a parent longs for more than for their child to be saved and to go to heaven. Whether they're successful in sports, whether they're successful in any part of life, we sometimes put our emphasis there. But as a parent, there's nothing that grieves our heart more than when our children are not walking faithfully with the Lord. So what are some factors? What are some things that have led to some of our young people falling away? And obviously that answer, the question to that answer is varied. 
But what I want to do today is I just want to go to the Bible and, and use the Bible to, to teach us what we need to be doing instead of necessarily looking at what we could have done, maybe what we can be doing to help to make sure our children are headed down the right path. But if I were to take you back into the Bible and to ask you this question, who in the Bible would you say was a great parent, was a model parent, was the parent that we look at and say, that's the parent that we all ought to be like? I don't know if you have names of Bible characters that come to mind and say, this, is, this, this person was a good parent, this person was a good parent. Let me flip that question over. Who in the Bible would you say was not such a good parent? Who would you say in the Bible, yes, they were a parent, but did not do a very good job of raising their children to fear the Lord and to walk with Him? Again, you may have names that come to mind with that question. You know, you may think of Eli uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and 3. You may think of even Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 8. You may even think of the man after God's own heart, David, who was a pitiful parent. And we see that in what happened with his children. But I want to take you back to a time in the Old Testament when there was a universal 100% failure of every parent. And you think that sounds maybe over-the-top dramatic, but it's not. There was a period of history in the Old Testament where it, it, the Bible indicates to us that an entire generation of parents failed their children. I want to take you to Judges chapter 2 for just a moment, and then we're going to back up from that. But as you go to Judges chapter 2, I want you to help me with this verse. As you're turning to Judges chapter 2, you know this verse and, uh, at the end of the book of Joshua. When Joshua is getting ready to die, and he tells the people they need to serve the Lord. And he says, you need to choose whether you're going to serve the gods of, of the Egyptians, if you're going to serve the gods that your father served back in the, over there, if you're going to serve the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But then you know this part. Joshua said, but as for me and my house, what? We will serve the Lord. You know that. Some of you may have that on a plaque on your wall or, or some kind of, uh, of sign in your house that says, this house is going to serve the Lord. And you know what the people said when Joshua said that? Well, of course we're going to serve the Lord, Joshua. You've got at least three or four times at the end of Joshua 24 where the people say, we will serve the Lord, we will serve the Lord, we will serve the Lord. And all the while Joshua saying, I don't know, if, you, if you're not going to do this, then you're not going to serve the Lord. But they said, no, 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 Joshua, we will serve the Lord. You get to the end of Joshua chapter 24, and it says, look in Judges 2 and verse 7. But you get to the end of Joshua chapter 24, and the end of Joshua chapter 24, the Bible says that the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua. Do you have that in your Bible? In Judges chapter 2 and verse 7? Yeah, it says the same thing at the end of Joshua chapter 24 as it says in, Joshua, in Judges chapter 2 and verse 7. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua. Great! But that almost kind of leads you to believe that there's some bad news coming, right? Because why doesn't it say that they just served the Lord forever? It puts a time marker on it and you know there's something that's not going to be right after that. And so I get down to verse 10 in Judges chapter 2 and to me this is one of the saddest verses in all. All of Scripture. Because here in Judges 2 and verse 10, you see a failure of the parents. You see a failure of the nation, yes. You see a failure of the teachers, yes. But you see a failure of the parents. Because Judges 2 and verse 10 says, When all of that generation 
That generation that had come into the promised land, conquered the promised land under the leadership of Joshua, when all of that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation, their children arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which the Lord had done for Israel. The indication is to us that a whole generation arises that does not know God. How sad. We look around today and we say, I, I've heard it said from, from my youth that the church is one generation away from apostasy. And whether you believe that to be true or not, here's an example in Scripture of a whole generation who fell away. Well, that's depressing. Great. We just ate lunch. We're supposed to be trying to stay awake. And here you are dropping this on us. Wonderful. Okay, here's the deal. What did they not do? Where did they fail? That's where I want us to back up and say, okay, if this is where they went, how can we not go there today? How can we prevent our, whether it's our whole church, whether it's our whole generation, or just our family? David, yeah, I'm concerned about other kids in this church, but I'm concerned about my family. I'm concerned about my kids. What can I do for my family? You know, Joshua had told them what they needed to do. They didn't do it. Moses had told them. I want to back up with you today to Deuteronomy chapter 6, to the, to the passage that's on the screen. And I want to look at what they were supposed to do. What, what Moses told them to do before he died, before they entered the promised land. Where they failed is they did not teach their children, but Moses told them to teach their children. So I want to share with you from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and 7 today, just some things that we need to, they need to teach their children. Here are some things we need to teach our kids. They're, they're as fundamental as can be. You're going to think that. But they're things that we've got to teach our kids. And if we can teach these things, instill these things in our children, certainly they're going to be able to make their own decisions and be their own person when they grow up and uh, but perhaps we can give them the foundation that they need. Deuteronomy chapter 6, the first thing that we need to teach our children, we need to teach our children to love God. Now, you hear that and you say that's about as, as, as obvious as it can be, but look at, what, look at what Moses told them in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, verse 4, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength you got to love God. And this was not the only verse in the book of Deuteronomy. You've got a dozen times in the book of Deuteronomy where, where Moses tells them, you've got to love God. Why does he keep telling these people before he dies, you've got to love God? Because that's where it all starts. When Jesus was asked, what's the first and greatest commandment? What did Jesus say? You've got to love God. Love the he, he goes back to this text. That's how foundational and how instructional this is. So how do we teach our children to love God? We need to teach our children to love God by teaching them and reminding them of all that God has done for us. Deuteronomy chapter 6, look at what Moses tells them. Drop down to verse 10. Moses tells them in verse 10, So it shall be, when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a large... Think about it. Look at, look at what he tells them. When you get into this land, what's he going to give you? He's going to give you large and beautiful cities, which what? You, you didn't build those cities. Verse 11. He's going to give you houses full of all good things. What'd you do? 
uh, you, which you did not fill. He's going to hewn out wells for you. Uh, what did you do? Oh, but you didn't dig those wells out. He's going to give you vineyards and olive trees, which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, verse 12, then beware, open your eyes and watch out, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. What's the deal? Don't forget what God has done for us. That's what he's telling them. Well, you need to love the Lord your God, and the way you teach your children to love the Lord your God is to remind them here is what God has done for us in our lives. That's what he's telling them to do. Do you do that with your children? Do you remind your children, here's what God has done for us? We need to teach our children to love God by, by teaching them to remember what remember what God has done to take care of us. And I know these these two points are alike, but I want to separate them just a little bit. To remember what God has done for us in the past, but also to be reminded of how God takes care of us right now. 1 Peter chapter 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open to their prayers. Do we know how much God has done for us? When, When you're able to look back over a period of a few years or maybe a period of a couple decades... Are you able to look back and see? You you can't see the providence of God when it's happening. But are you able to look back and see the providence of God at work in your life? Have you shared that with your children? Have you talked to your children about how God has taken care of your family? I, I don't know how many times my girls, when they were growing up, must have heard the story about how how my wife Tracy got her job. It, it, it was one of those, one of those stories that, that we look back on it and there's, there's no explanation that God was at work in, in helping that to happen. We, we moved down to Florida after graduating from college and, uh, well, I was going to work for the church. That, that, was, that was easy. That was obvious. But uh, we weren't going to survive on a single income. And so, uh, as Tracy tells it, we woke up on Monday morning and I said, babe, you got to go find a job. Uh, and so she did. And uh, she goes and finds a job. And that first job, full-time job she had, was just a toxic environment. It was, it was a horrible place for her to be working. She came home one day in tears, and after the experience she had had, and I said, all right, we're done. You're not going back. All right, well, that's great. Not going back, but we need a paycheck, right? Uh, it was February, that time of year, I went up to the Freed Hardman Lectureship. Tracy was invited over to one of our members' homes for dinner. Tracy was telling the wife about what had been happening uh, in her job situation, that she was now looking for temp work and all of that, and the husband comes home in time for dinner. And he says, Tracy, I wish I'd known that, wish I'd known that you were looking for a job. I interviewed two or three people today. I had no desire to hire them. Please send me your resume, and I'll hire you. She's been working for them for the last 23 years, and that job has been working with us so that she could stay home with our girls. You think our girls haven't heard that story over and over and over? They know. They know that God has taken care of our family. What's that doing? That's not David and Tracy sitting down and saying, well, we're going to teach our children to love God. It's just talking about what God's done for us. Do you talk about what God has done for you? Do you talk about how God has taken care of your family? That's how we teach our children to love God. We're able to teach our children to love God because he first loved us. Do we teach our children, 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, that we didn't love God? It's not that we loved God, but He loved us. And He sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Do we talk about in our family 
what Jesus has done for us? Do we, or, or do we just reserve that for Sunday school? Do we reserve that for what happens in Bible class? Or do we make sure our children know how much we love God because of what He has done for us? We need to teach our children to love God, not only because of what He has done and what He is doing and because of the love that He has for us, but we need to do it by teaching them to trust in this God. They can't see Him. Here's these little kids. They, they can't see Him. But can they learn to pray? Can they learn to trust in Him? I mentioned on Friday or Saturday, I can't remember what, what day it was, that about that little six-year-old boy who led a prayer in one of our office meetings a few months ago. This little six-year-old boy prays one of the most the deepest, one of the deepest prayers I've ever heard. And it came out of a little, a little boy's mouth. This little boy has been taught in his home to pray. He's been taught and, and, and that to be anxious for nothing but in everything by supplication and thanksgiving, with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. He's, he's heard requests made by his father, no doubt, in prayer. And somehow the peace of God is ruling inside of that family. Do you pray with your kids? I'm not, I'm not just talking about, you know... God, thank you for this food. Help it to taste good. Amen. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm not talking. <clears throat> not just talking about before meals. Do you pray with your kids? Do you pray with them intentionally? Do you pray with them every night? One of the most memorable, special times that I ever had with our girls growing up is I, I got to drop them off at school every day, and uh, whenever we would make one last corner, we were. We weren't on a major road anymore. It was a little side street. When we made one last corner, almost at their school, they would unbuckle from the back seat. They knew as soon as we made that corner, they could unbuckle. They, as soon as we made that last corner going to the school, they'd unbuckle. And I'd put my hand down on the center console, and they'd come put their little hands inside of my hand. And we'd had, Daddy would have an open-eyed prayer. They'd have a closed-eyed prayer. But Daddy'd have an open-eyed prayer before I dropped them off at school. I don't tell you that to tell you that, that David's great and you need to do what David does. I'm telling you that was one of the most special times I ever had with my kids because we were praying and talking to God before they went to school. I wasn't thinking about, man, I need to teach my kids to love God. What do I need to do? Okay, we're going to pray before. We were just being a family and trying to help them to get to heaven. We need to teach our children to love God by just using an intentional... Uh, oops, sorry, I almost... I, I didn't think it was there. By using teachable moments. In Joshua chapter 4, they created a teachable moment. Sometimes teachable moments just happen. But in Joshua chapter 4, Joshua's like, get these stones out. We're going to go put them over here. We're going to build this. We're going to build these, these stones up. Well, Joshua, why are we doing this? Because the day's going to come when your children ask about these. What were they doing? Creating a teachable moment. I'm not saying just utilize teachable moments when they pop up. As parents, we need to create them. We need to intentionally put things in place where we know something's going to happen that's going to be an opportunity for us to instill the love of God into their hearts. Why do we read Judges 2 and verse 10? Why do we read about a whole generation who arose who did not know God? I believe, number one, it's because they did not teach their children to love God. We've got to do that. Deuteronomy chapter 6, we not only need to teach our children to love God, we need to teach our children to love the Bible. Look, look, at, what, look at what he says starting in verse 6, the verse right after we stopped in verse 5. 
He says in verse 6, these words, not thoughts, ideas, or speculations, these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. But don't just keep them in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. How often? And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Oh, that's pretty often. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as a frontlet between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. That's pretty much all the time, right? We're not only teaching them to love God, we've got to teach them to love His Word. Teach them to love the Bible. How do we do that? How do we teach them to love the Bible? Well, it starts when they're young. It starts when they're young by teaching them to love the stories of the Bible. You know, bedtime is a great time to tell stories. I know some fathers who are amazing storytellers. They can go into that room and they can make up some of the most fantastic stories just off the top of their heads and just wow their kids. And I would encourage you, if you're one of those guys, keep on doing it. I'm not one, but keep on doing it. But you know some stories that can wow them are the stories that are here in this book that are not make-believe. They're not made up. They're not fairy tales. That we can sit and we can read to them the Bible, to read these stories to them and allow their, their faith in the Bible and their love for the Bible to grow when they read about a man who was about ready to sacrifice his son and God said, stop! Does that get children's attention when they think about their father holding a knife over them? What's God doing? Taking care of Abraham and Isaac and they need to see that. Does it wild children to hear about David and Goliath and Daniel in the lion's den? Does it wild them to hear about Shadrach, Meshach? We, they, we need to say, you need to grow up to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You don't need to grow up to be like Nahum, and otherwise you're going to get a donkey talking to you, and you don't want that. Real stories that really happened. We need to teach them to love the stories about Jesus. Where Jesus, God, was right here walking among us. And he would pick up those children and love on those kids. Where he would get up and, and, and he would feed 5,000 people and, and, and show them five little pieces of bread and five little sardine-like fish. If you like sardines, never mind. But say, he took all of these and he fed 5,000 men plus women and children. Talk to them about Jesus walking on the water. Talks to them about Jesus walking into that family's home where that little girl had died. And he, and he talks to that little girl and he raises her from the dead. Help them to fall in love with Jesus by falling in love with the stories that are in the Bible. And you cannot start too early. You cannot start too early. 2 Timothy chapter 3. When Paul's writing this last letter to Timothy, he tells him in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14 to, to hang on to the things that he's been told, to remember who has taught them the to, who has taught him these things. And he says in verse 15 that from depends on your translation here in, in 2 Timothy 3:15, that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation. That word childhood, that from being a child. The Greek word that's used there is the same Greek word that's used about Jesus in Luke chapter 2 where it says that they took the child and they wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Same word. That from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures and, and the Bible says that's the word that's being used to talk about Jesus. Like, is, is it too early when, when your baby's still in swad, being swaddled in that towel thing that you get from the hospital? Is it too early to be reading them Bible stories? 
Well, guess what? That same Greek word from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, not only in Luke chapter 2, not only the same word there when Jesus is laying in the manger, same Greek word in Luke chapter 1 when John the Baptist is in his mother's womb and the babe leaped in her womb. Same Greek word. No, 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 David. You're not saying, yeah. Is it too early to read your unborn little boy or girl stories about Jesus while they're in the womb? And they come out and they have already heard mom and dad's voice talking about some favorite things from childhood. You've known the Holy Scriptures. We need to make them love the Bible by loving the stories of the Bible. We need to help them to love the Bible by reading it and studying it ourselves. 1 Peter chapter 2 says you need to put away all malice. You need to put away all of this sin that's in your life. And you need to desire the sincere milk of the word. You need to grow thereby. You need to desire so much so that you can taste that the Lord is gracious in verse 3. You need to study it, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15. Do we do that? I can remember, and I had to be a young kid. I can remember watching my dad sitting at the kitchen table. Studying the Bible, preparing to teach Bible classes. I've got a visual memory right now of my dad sitting at the end of the dining room table with his books out. Does that have an impact on a kid to see his dad with the books out studying? I can remember going into his room and seeing that little shelf that he had with Bible books on it. And I just thought, wow. I guess that's when I fell in love with Bible books. And I was like, i got to have some of these. Uh, And so I can remember that little shelf where he had his Bible study books. I can remember him having people in the house non-Christians and Christians sitting at that same dining room table and studying. I can remember that. Was he doing that to impress? No, he wasn't doing that to impress. He wasn't even thinking about me. He was doing that to teach that Bible class and to teach. But it had an impact on this kid. Grandparents, I can remember being in my grandparents' house my grandmother would be in the kitchen do what, doing what grandmothers do in the kitchen and thank God for grandmothers in the kitchen. She would be in the, in the kitchen baking up whatever she was doing. And Grandpa was sitting out here in the living room, TV not on, sitting out here in the living room in his chair where he always was with his Bible always open on his lap. Uh, it was just, I went to see him in the hospital before he died and guess what was open? He was asleep in the hospital bed but the, hosp- the, the Bible was open on his chest. But I can remember as a child, Grandpa sitting in the chair, Grandma in the kitchen, and I can still hear his voice saying, Mary, listen to this one. And he'd read a verse, just a verse. He'd read a verse, and he'd say, isn't that something? And then she'd go back to doing whatever Grandma was doing in the kitchen, and he'd keep reading the Bible. Grandparents, isn't that something? Seeing grandpa reading a Bible verse, that makes an impact on your kids. You want to teach them to love the Bible? Don't just use words to tell them to do that. Let them see it in your life. We teach them to love the Bible by respecting it, by respecting what it says. You know, even little babies, even little babies can be taught to respect the Bible. Does it happen in cradle roll class here? It happens in cradle roll class down at home where they've got those little New Testaments and they've got those little New Testaments in there and they pat the Bible, pat, I don't, I don't know the song because it's been a few years since I've been in cradle roll, but it'd be pat, you know, pat the Bible, you know, and it's, it's how you treat the Bible. You take care of the Bible. 
Well, if little cradle roll kids can be taught to pat the Bible and take care of the Bible itself, when they get older, guess what they need to care about? Taking care of and respecting what's inside of the Bible. But if we can teach that to little kids, we can teach that to everybody. That we love and respect not just the book, we love and respect what it says. What it tells us to do. And they need to see that being lived out in our lives. That we love and we respect this book so much that we're not willing to change it. We're not willing to deviate from what it says. We're not willing to put ourselves in front of what it says. We need to teach our children that going to heaven is dependent on doing what this book says. And I want you to go to heaven more than anything else. The book of Judges. Theme verse. There was no king in Israel. Everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. May that not be said of us. May it be said of us that our children see us loving this book so much that we'll even make some hard decisions. That our children may not, well, why are we doing, why are we not going to do that? Everybody else, why are we not? Because we love God and we love the Bible. Number three, number three, Deuteronomy chapter six. We need to teach our children to love doing right. Look in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Start down in verse 17. Moses says, You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, His testimonies, and His statutes which He has commanded you. Don't just do it a little bit. Do it diligently. And you shall do what is right and good. In whose sight? Not in man's sight. You shall, you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you, and that you may go in and possess the good land of which the Lord your God has swore to your fathers. You need to do what's right. You need to love doing what, well, well, but, you know, there's so many, so many things we have. You know, God's got all these do's and all these don'ts. Look down in verse 24. The Lord commanded us to observe all of these statutes, to fear the Lord your God. Why does God tell us to do these things in verse 24? For our good always. We need our children to love doing right because it's pleasing to God. We need to teach our children to love doing right because God has put these things in our place, in, in place for us to do for our good. How do we do that? How do we teach them to love doing right? We teach them to love doing right by teaching them that it is a privilege to do right. By teaching them that it is not a chore to do right. I think sometimes... We have led others to believe that, boy, this Christianity thing, it's, it's really a burden to bear. You know, I'm a Christian, and no, sorry, honey, you can't go and do that because we're a Christian family. No, you're not allowed. Nope, sorry, you can't do that with your friends because we go to church and we're a Christian family. We don't need to apologize because we're not going to be involved in some in some activity that Christians don't need to be involved in. We don't need to say, well, it's, you know, being a Christian is kind of hard because there's some things we have to do and we, we're not supposed to. No. We need to present the Christian life to our children as the best life there is. They, need to, they don't need to look at us and see us depressed and down because we're Christian. They need to look at us and say, wow, my parents really enjoy this Christian thing. 1 John chapter 5 says, this is the love of God, verse 3. This is the love of God. What's the love of God? That you keep his commandments. The rest of the verse, and his commandments are not burdensome. New King James word. Is it too hard? No. It's not too hard to be a Christian. I might make it too hard. Did, I, I, don't, I don't know if I should ask this question. 
Did your children ever make a task that you gave them harder than it was really supposed to be? Let me take it out of the home. Did, did, did your children, maybe it was you in school, your teacher gave an assignment and you made the assignment in school harder than the actual assignment was. Our youngest daughter would do that all the time. Our youngest daughter, she'd get an assignment in school, she'd come home, and, 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 and she thought the world was going to end because of this one assignment. She thought it was the worst thing ever in this assignment. And then we sat down and boiled it all down, and we're like, no, it's just this. Stop making it this. It's just this. Do we do that with the Christian life? You know, we say, oh, that's all. No, no, no. It's the best life there is. It's not horrible. I want to do this. That's what our children need to see. We need to teach them to love doing what's right by teaching them to follow the example of Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 1, it says about Jesus in verse 9 that he loved righteousness and he hated lawlessness. What an example. Love what's right, hate what's wrong. That's where we need to be. Jesus loved right and he hated wrong because John 8 verse 29 says he always wanted to do what pleased God. That should not be a burden. That should be, hey, I want to please God. That's what Jesus wanted to do. In John 8 verse 29, he wanted to do what would be pleasing to his father. That ought to be our motivation. We need to teach our children to love doing right by teaching them that it is always right to do right. This situation ethics thing, where you decide what is right based upon the situation, where you wait to decide what you're going to do and assert to see what, what might be involved. No, no, no. Right is always right, even if nobody else is doing it. Wrong is always wrong, even if everybody else is doing it. I grew up hearing Dan Jenkins preach since I was seven years old. From seven until college, I heard him preach. And I probably heard a thousand times him say it's always right to do right always wrong to do wrong it's never right to do wrong and it's never wrong to do right and that's right you know why because the bible is right we got to teach our children to love doing right because it's always right to do right and when I make up my mind it's always right to do right, that makes life so much easier. I'm serious. That makes life so much easier. I don't have to wait till I get in and say, well, what am I going to do now? I already know what I'm going to do. I've already made the decision. I'm going to do what's right. And if I've already made that decision, I get into a tough situation. Well, no, I'm just not going to do that. I'm going to go and do this. Because that decision has already been made for me. I think it was Gus Nichols who, uh, who, who made a comment one time about he, he doesn't have to decide every Sunday whether he's going to go to church or not. He made that decision 50 years ago, and that's just what he does. Isn't that what we should be for the Christian, for the Christian life? I made that decision when I was baptized. I'm just going to do what's right. Final thing we've got to teach our children. Love God, love the Bible, love doing right. We've got to teach our children to love the church. You say, how do you get that here? Go to chapter 7. Look at what Moses tells them in chapter 7. Start with me in chapter 7, verse 6. See if this doesn't sound a little bit familiar. Chapter 7, verse 6. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself 
a special treasure above all the peoples of the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you because you were good looking. No, because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all the people. He didn't choose you because you were great. But because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you with the house of, from the house of bondage, from the house of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. He didn't choose you because you had something to offer him. He chose you because he loves you. Does verse 6 ring a bell? Does verse 6 sound familiar? Does verse 6 not sound a whole lot like 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9? Where God says to the church, you church are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, his own special people, special treasure, special people, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. We're the church of the living God. And we need to teach our children to love the church. That's where the, that's where the Israelites failed. They failed to teach him to love God, to love his word, to love doing what's right, and to love the fact that they were God's people. How do we teach our children to love the church? First thing, we need to teach our children to love the church. There we go. By teaching them that assembling with the saints is the most important thing that we can do every time the doors are open. I know we use that expression, and you probably use that expression here, about, you know, those people, there's people who are here every time the doors are open. Well, yeah, they are. We need to teach our children how important the church is by being here every time we possibly can. Now, I understand, you understand, that there's a difference between worship and the church. That the church is the people and the church is not the building. I understand the church is not the building. You understand the church is not the building. But little kids, little one, two, three, four-year-old kids, they don't get that yet. You know what they do get? Boy, we go to that church. We go to that building a lot, don't we? Boy, we're there all the time. We're always there. We're, we're doing something there all the time. You know what that puts in their little brain? That must be an important place to go. That church thing. That church thing must be important. Later on, we can separate for them the building is not the church. But having them here every time the doors are open plants a little seed into those hearts that says this is the place to be. This is the highlight of the week. When we go on vacation, we don't take a vacation from church. When we go on vacation, we find a place to worship. Boy, it doesn't look like this building, but it's kind of like this building. We're singing the same songs, and we're hearing the same old preacher saying the same old thing. And boy, I, this is very similar. When you go on vacation, do you take your kids to church? I can remember walking in some places, in variety of places across this country, that we had never been. I can remember walking in some places around this as a little kid and a little kid's view of all of this and walking in and sitting in somebody's pew that we shouldn't have been sitting in their pew. We learned better not to sit in that pew, but to come in and sit in a, in a building where we, in a small building, small group of people we had never seen who were the friendliest folks we'd ever met. Why? Because they were Christians. I can also remember walking in some buildings that on the outside said Church of Christ and we walked in. And I can remember my dad doing a U-turn and we walked right back out. And I was like, where are we going? We just got here. And we'd go out 
to the camper and we'd have our own worship service because there were some things inside there that were not authorized by God and we weren't going to worship that way. You think that stuck in a little kid's head? That we weren't going to go there, but we weren't going to skip. We just go have our own family worship. We teach our children to love the church. Teach them to to love the church by making sure that they are inside of the doors every time they're open, not because I have to. Let's get that terminology out of our brains. Well, I have to go to church. You know, okay, you can say you have to go to church. No, 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 I get to. I get to go and worship. And that's what we do as a family. We teach our children to love the church by making sure that they understand that having other Christians around them on a regular basis is of utmost importance. Not just that they're around them here on Sundays and Wednesdays, but we need to have Christians around our children on a regular basis. In our homes, in their homes, at other activities, we need to have that that cloud of Christians, that, that cheerleader of Christians, that family of Christians around our children so that our children are developing relationships with them. Our girls grew up calling so certain members of the congregation, grandpa so-and-so, grandma so-and-so, aunt so-and-so, uncle so we, I didn't have any family there. Tracy didn't have any family down there. I, my, we moved down there and my family left. I don't know what that says. But we, we didn't have any family there. But they called a lot of people, grandpa, grandma, uncle, and aunt in the church. Why? Because that's what we were. We were a family. We need to spend time with each other outside of this building. Our children need to see these people in our homes, at our table, sitting in our living room. We need to go and do things with them so that they can make that connection that, oh, wow, this isn't just a, a, a one time. This is a, this is a regular thing that we are involved with each other. There was a study done a number of years ago that indicated that for children to remain faithful, after they graduate and leave and go out on their own, for children to remain faithful, they need seven connections to the church outside of their family and outside of the youth group. They need seven meaningful connections to people. That's what I'm talking about. Seven meaningful connections to people in the church outside of their family members, outside of the youth group. Why? Well, because when they graduate, they've graduated from here, They're no longer in a youth group because the youth group is no longer the youth group anymore, right? This is going to happen. You're not going to be the youth group anymore. Go figure. So, But when they leave, do they still have any connection to the church other than, oh, yeah, I was a part of a youth group there, and I'm not a part of a youth group anymore, so I don't have a part in the church anymore? They need seven connections with those of you who are not in the youth group. That means some of you need to be looking at the youth in this church and saying, can I be, should I be one of those connections? Building that relationship with this child so that when they graduate, they still have something that holds them to the church. A real relationship with a real Christian who really cares about them. That's how we teach our children to love the church. We teach our children to love the church by helping them to love helping others. Christianity is not just a Sunday, Wednesday thing, not just being around other Christians. They need to learn to love to help others. We need to be a service-oriented family. We need to be those who look out not only for our own interests, but also the interests of others in Philippians 2, 3, and 4. We need to do good unto all men, but especially those of the household of faith in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10. We need to create opportunities, create little service projects perhaps for our children to do so that they can enjoy, not, not as a burden, not as, a, as an assignment, not as homework, not as punishment. Okay, well, you have to go do this. No, 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 as a joy. 
as we get to serve and we get to teach others. And the last one here, the last one for today. Why are our children falling away? This may be the reason right here. Why are our children leaving the church? Perhaps because we have not taught them to love the unique nature of the Lord's church. If they grow up and they graduate and they think that the church of Christ is just some denomination like all of these other religious groups who are out here and one is just as good as another, why why are we going to be surprised if they no longer walk faithfully with the Lord? They need to hear what the Bible says about the church. They need to be taught that God had an eternal plan for his church. From From before he said, let there be light, he had a plan for his church to bring it into existence, Ephesians 3, verses 9 through 11. And that that plan started to come through to, to, through, to fruition. I can't even talk through these prophecies in the Old Testament where he says, I'm going I'm to build this house on the top of the mountains and all nations are going to flow unto it, Isaiah chapter 2. And this kingdom is going to be established in the days of these kings and it will never be destroyed in Daniel 2 and verse 44. And then Jesus comes along and says, I'm going to build that church. I'm going to give you the keys to that kingdom. It's right here at hand. And he dies on that cross and he purchases the church with his own blood. And that church is established in Acts And the Lord added unto his church that he had in mind from the very beginning before he ever made anything. He added to that church daily those who were being saved. He didn't add to some denomination in Acts chapter 2. There were no denominations in Acts chapter 2. He added to his church and every person who's ever followed the Lord's simple, clear, unique plan of salvation has been put in that church, not by by matter of vote, not by matter of man, but by the Lord adding them to that church. Be a part of his family, be a part of his body, his kingdom, be a part of his church so that one day when that Savior, when that Lord, when that King comes back for his kingdom, he's going to take his kingdom 1 Corinthians 15, 24 he's going to deliver his kingdom to his Father. Do you have to be in his kingdom to go to his Father? You certainly do. The only way you can go to the Father at the end of time is to be in His kingdom that He delivers up to His Father. We've got to have our names registered in heaven, Hebrews 12 and verse 23. And we only have our names registered in heaven if we're a part of that church that's talked about in Hebrews 12, 23. If our children do not know the unique nature of the church, we have not taught them to love the church. We have not taught them to love God. And we're not instilling within them any hope of remaining faithful when they leave. A whole generation arose, did not know God, did not know what God had done. Where had they failed? They had failed to teach their children to love God, to love the Bible, to love doing right, and to love being the people of God. May God help us to see where they failed and to pick up and say, I'm going to make sure, whether I'm a parent, a grandparent, a friend, whatever it may be, I want to help kids go to heaven. There's nothing more urgent on this earth. God has a simple plan that needs to be taught to our children. He's got a simple plan in order to save us from our sins, and he lays it out in Scripture, and our children need to be able to know it, to follow it, 
to obey it themselves. When that day comes, and sometimes children come ask their parents about being baptized, but sometimes they're not ready yet. But when the day comes that a child realizes, you know, I've, I've got sin in my life where I have violated God's law, and if Jesus came last night, I would not be in a good place. And realize I need to get light right with God. Not, not, not a child only. Any of us of any age. If we think about the fact if Jesus had come back last night, where would I be right now? If I wouldn't be with the Lord, then I need to get right with the Lord right now. And I do that by believing that Jesus is the Son of God. I do that by repenting and turning away from the wrong, the sin that's in my life that's separating me from Him. I do that by confessing the faith that I have in my heart that Jesus is the Son of God. And I do that by being baptized into Christ. Not because some religion says, not because a church says, not because some man told me to do it, but because Jesus told me to do it. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Have you ever been baptized in order to be saved? Are you living a faithful life to the Lord right now? Loving Him, serving Him with all that you got. If this church can help you to get right with the Lord, why don't you come right now as together we stand and sing?